Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. In what might be my most ambitious Zoom recording to date, my guests this week are Gulet Abdi, Vance Banzo, Tim Blair, and Franco Nguyen, who are collectively known as Tall Boys. Their pretty clever sketch comedy series returns for its second season tonight, Tuesday, February 16th at 9.30pm on CBC and CBC Gem. The guys picked Hook, Steven Spielberg's 1991 run at the Peter Pan story, starring Robin Williams as a grown-up Peter who's forgotten who he used to be and settled down to an ordinary life. But when his kids are spirited off to Neverland, he has to find his inner child and battle Dustin Hoffman's Captain Hook to restore his family. Positioned as one of the biggest movies of the Christmas season, if not the year, it was met with mixed reviews and mild confusion, and these days it ranks pretty low in Spielberg's filmography. But you know something? It's really weird. This is someone else's movie. This is the 30th anniversary of, of that movie, which... Really? Wow. Is blowing the back of my head off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 1991. I always think it's 92, but it was 91. And oh. yeah, I I mean, I saw that in the, in the Uptown One at a press screening with everybody else, and it was one of those incredibly expected, like highly hyped, highly awaited movies. Cause this was his first family film since ET. And that was a big deal. And I don't know, watching it with 35 people in a cavernous movie theater was probably not the best way to go for the energy of it, but <laughs> there's stuff in it that fascinates me and you're all a lot younger than I am. So I'm assuming you came to this as kids. So I really want to know what that felt like. Yeah, definitely. Like all my first time I saw that, uh, saw hook, it it's before I like I was paying attention to plots and like what happened to the movie, what happened in it. So it's interesting like to rewatch and and like yeah actually learn what's going on. All I had were these very like vague memories of specific scenes that just uh, stuck in my brain from childhood. Yeah, I think I I saw it when I was really young. I had never. I think that w- was Peter Pan to me. Like I thought that that was like the original source material. Oh yeah. Uh, when I watched it, and I remember I, I was saying this while we were watching it. Um, there's a lot of scenes where they they open up books and there's like drawings of the storybooks, and it, I remember as a kid it was so terrifying to me. <laughs> Old <laughs> pictures were scary, and then when he plays with his shadow, oh man, it was very scary. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't remember watching that movie as a child, so I'm watching it for the first time at 33, and it was it was good. Uh, really? You know? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like I, I thought there was like it still holds up. Like as he says, 30 years old. I'm like, wow, this actually still. There's only a few parts. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird, but everything else. Like, no, this is actually yeah. still very nice. You know, like the colors are great, and I, it does make me miss being a child a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching uh, the animated. I think we just had it on VHS. <clears throat> so that was always in the VCR. The Disney version. The Disney version, yeah. And uh, so like, my favorite scene from that was the dog barking, you know, as they're flying away into the sky. And I think I'll always remember that. But for this hook, it's the imaginary food that when I was a kid, I saw that I'd love. Like, what did they eat? Is that purple mashed potatoes? Like, even now, I don't know what it is. But it's, it's such a, it's a great movie moment for me. Yeah, it is weird watching it now and thinking, like, part of the camp value for adults is, oh, that's Dustin Hoffman being silly. And, you know, like, Robin Williams is really in this peak moment of the thing that he did that no one else could do, which was simultaneously be needy and giving and just 
it got worse through the 90s and then they fixed it with Goodwill Hunting. But he had this whole career arc where every other movie was this adult oriented drama where he just cried then and had to find a reason to be sad. And, <laughs> you know, like Bicentennial Man or, or that's a bad example. That movie's awful. Uh, <laughs> like Jacob the Liar and, and uh, Awakenings and things like that. They're not all, some of them are really good, but they're always along this same thing where like the Fisher King is probably the apex of it where mm-hmm. Robin, Robin Williams is this magical dreamer who no one else understands and, and ultimately must triumph over himself in order to win. And hook is the weirdest thing about it is you're watching him play an ordinary person, right? Someone who's in deep denial for the first half of the film about who he is and what he can do. Mm-hmm. What? It, and yeah, kids would have only known him from, I don't yeah, know, Popeye. Do. Like where, where do you, <laughs> I know. What's, yeah. I think I knew him as Aladdin or the genie from sure, Aladdin. Sure, the genie, oh, right. Yeah. Where else did I know? And okay. yeah, I think that's when I For first me, Flubber. got introduced. Flubber was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah Flubber, Flubber, that was a hit. Robin Williams <laughs> intro. Yeah, that, that's something I need to rewatch. Yeah, I don't remember any of the plot of what actually goes on in Flubber. But, that. We had um, did I love like, those green guys? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, because I, I didn't go to the movies until uh, like 1992 six or something that's when i first saw a movie but before that I, I remember watching the the tv spots and i recognized robin williams from the mrs doubtfire tv spots right and and oh yeah i just remember his face covered in pie going hello <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like, even then that guy <laughs> yeah you would understand he's capable of doing so much more than he does in the first half of the film so you're sort of right. waiting for it to all explode yeah yeah it's definitely like I feel like all the that Robin uh, Williams uh, era for kids just a lot of lot of slime and goopy stuff. That was a great great generation. Uh, which what's one of my favorite interests as a kid is just anything slimy. Uh, yeah, truly. Even when he goes to that movie where he follows his wife to hell, <laughs> hell was all slimy yeah. and goopy. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what dreams oh, yeah. may come? Oh yes, <laughs> right. yes. God, I haven't thought about that in forever. <laughs> And then there was all that goopy slime stuff in that can in Jack when they all <laughs> farted in it. The 90s were a time. <laughs> like there's child labor laws being violated in half these things, I'm sure. Yeah. Exposure yeah. to toxic goop. Although when yeah. I was a kid in the 70s and we had slime, they actually sold it in cans. Uh, it was probably just methyl cellulose. Yeah, like it's whatever it is you use for slime in, in the Gremlins movies, but they you could buy it and then it came with little instructions on how to get it out of fabric because kids were inevitably going to just smear it all over everything in the world. The nineties were a better time that way. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess slime is just an evergreen thing for kids. They, I mean, just give them some sort of mucus to play with and (laughs) they're going to love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to get some boogers, but make it brighter. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is a a base human fascination when you're a child. The, and that's the thing that Spielberg can tap into. Sorry, I'm finding these weird connections as we go. That the glee of being a kid and misbehaving, like that's the imaginary food thing. And then and the the Lost Boys are the perfect example of that. The the id of Rufio running around. He's already a little too old to be doing this, but we don't care because he's so charming. And like, do you feel like you're seeing yourselves when you're watching a movie like this? Or like whose side are you on? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Smee's side. Who's <laughs> <laughs> Smee? I forget. Smee is the guy that was like stealing treasure at the end. No, I'm just kidding. The right hand well, man. Yeah, he carries but, the hook. Yeah. yeah. It's wow. definitely like, 
yeah just being like rowdy boys like I, I was saying watching it like this movie has like some of this the best chanting of just a bunch of kids just being loud and legit like that's yeah it really reminds me of my childhood and just you know goofing off with a bunch of my dude friends yeah just letting the, the imagination run wild yeah that was like yeah that was being a kid that was uh you, you made up your own games uh <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know if anyone else did this, but like just use your imagination. Play, play Backstreet Boys when I was like a young kid. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna be Nick, <laughs> or I'm gonna be everyone to be Nick. So yeah, mm. settle for Howie or Kevin. Or, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that's Steven Spielberg did a great job with the Lost Boys of catching that imagination. If I can repeat everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean the lost boys themselves are almost like their own little back backstreet boys units you know everyone had their favorite watching uh it. i can't recall any of their names they weren't as catchy as like the goonies but uh they, yeah. they all had distinctive characteristics and were so charming yeah the goonies is a good analog actually for this because it they're both just pure chaos as movie experiences and yeah there's <laughs> like a lot of set work and they're not really shooting realistically so you either get caught up in it and you decide to go along with it or it's a total nightmare i mean i remember i interviewed richard donner for the 25th anniversary of the goonies when they brought it out in this blu-ray box set and he clearly did not have the best time making this movie like he he likes it now in retrospect but he was really much happier talking about like he heard my dog barking in the background and he wanted <laughs> to talk about that um but he said it like the problem is that you can't manage it there there is a point on every day on set where the kids take over and you just have to run behind them with the camera and oh, yeah. someone wow like someone like spielberg who is so organized and his camera work is so like deliberate and intuitive Hook feels like an outlier in his filmography because you are watching someone try to make sense of this giant machinery, not just the kids, but like the, the fact that so much of it has to take place on that ship. And so much of it is, is like caught up in the mechanics, the practical work that they were doing. There's minimum, there's, what was it? 1991. There's almost no CG. There's digital like touch-ups and stuff, but everything that's happening is happening in front of the camera, which I find fascinating because it's, it's just this huge production yeah absolutely yeah. i mean it feels like it could break out into a musical at any moment like watching it's i was like i wasn't sure if it was like yeah it's very like right there they had some music yeah. elements like that times they were like he's chanting is more what they were doing yeah it was, the chance. I was like <laughs> i did expect him to do a backflip you know and <laughs> <laughs> jump off something yeah yeah that opening hook number makes it feel like we're about to delve into a musical the hook hook give us a hook uh, yeah. Like, yeah like there's no number <laughs> <laughs> I think La La Land has definitely warped my mind. Is like if I see an intro where people are starting to chant, I'm like, I think a music is about to begin right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I want from all movies. Like at any moment, if someone starts singing, there better be a good reason. But I mean, I'll I'll follow along. I'm okay with it. Um, and yeah, Williams. I'm trying to think. Did Williams ever make a, a live action? Like he did Aladdin, obviously. But Popeye. Popeye was a musical. Oh, Popeye's a musical. Yeah. I've blocked that out. I mentioned it 20 <laughs> minutes ago and I still blocked it out. Uh, that is a weird ass movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. As, I haven't no, seen it recently I enough. It. I saw that one as a kid because uh, I would have been 12 when it came out. And oh, perfect. Yeah. A, a, again, all practical sets, all really eccentric choices directed by Robert Altman because why not? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gave us Shelley Duvall's Olive Oil, which is perfect. But yeah, watching Robin Williams like squint and mumble his way through that. It's like, this is not what I expected from cinema, <laughs> but Hook finds a context for him. Like he's 
he is the guy you cast as Peter Pan and they kept doing it, right? Like Jumanji is basically the same role where he's a grown up child. Um, and they, they found something apparently Spielberg and Williams became like best buddies while making the movie, either because they were relying on each other to get through it or because both of them knew they were kind of outmatched and they still found a way to make it work. But you get to watch the movie discover his performance. I don't know that there are a lot of people who could sell the flying scene the way he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even I think about it right now, I'm like, how old was he when that movie came out? Where like, I believed he was a child the second he became Peter Pan. Like, I didn't even question for a moment that like, oh, he's like 20 years there, they're senior. But like, yeah, he's no, he's the same age as them. It's just a big eight year old. <laughs> yeah, that that the scene where they're like insulting each other and just coming up like that was so it was, I remember that was one thing that stuck out to me as a child and was still just as fun to watch them just hurl these nonsense uh, <laughs> words at each other. Yeah, like the language dreaming. everybody. Because the insults didn't make any sense. I was like, what are they saying? (laughs) There's somebody once who said the way you do gibberish is to come up with the natural intonations. Like you actually have to be speaking something that makes sense to you to get it to make sense to others. Because we we just, we infer it from the the physicality and the, like the stress, but it's kind of English. I mean, like it's a language I understand, but it's it's the Lisa Simpson line. I know those words, but that sentence has no meaning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it's so fun, yeah. Just seeing them, I don't know. Just like part of me is like, it, it, Robin Williams want to insult them, like, because he's also a comedian, he can insult them, like, really hurt them. But he's got to do these kid <laughs> insults. Oh, look at this little boy. Oh, he's got, he's got a funny hair. Oh, and look, and look at these twins. Oh, oh, look at these twins, but they look the same, but they're different. Oh, <laughs> he can really rip into them, but he has to, he has to stick to the script. Even if you wanted to improvise, it has to be something very fun and innocent. Oh, I'd love to see the deleted footage. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, he deserved that. He deserved that. The way he was looking at me. <laughs> this boy, he's a dumb, dumb head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm sorry, I want to let that go on for a while. Uh, it's, it is like it is weird to see somebody who is so specific at what he did. And and this is the thing that I've I've encountered with with Williams performances and with like musicians who've who've died like Bowie or um, uh, Fountains of Wayne is one of my favorite bands and and um, um, Adam Schlesinger died of COVID. like he was the first COVID death celebrity in back in March or April and it just broke my heart and every time I think about the music I get I get past it immediately because the the music won't let you stay sad and Williams is the same way. I keep forgetting he's dead because he's so yeah. vividly present in all the stuff yeah. he did. Yeah, I only, I'm only real. I truthfully only realizing it now. I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, what we were, we were just watching it recently, and I was like, he's so alive in that performance, and uh, yeah, that kind of, it, yeah, his, a lot of his body of work is playing childlike, and I, I, he has uh, such a. It's, I remember watching his inside the actor studio, and he's like one of his favorite sounds is the child's laughter, and he's he's very much like. I'm doing this for children and I'm accessing this, uh, my, my sense of play throughout. And I think that's the great thing about the hook movie, uh, that I think, uh, is very present throughout is, uh, this sense, the celebration of play. Uh, and then, yeah, but there's other aspects of the movie that we, when we were watching, we're like, Oh, this, I don't remember this. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Was it, uh, 
like he makes out with seven mermaids. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, yeah. What? This is a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah. Who's it? Was he asking for a hook one time and the woman giving it to him moaned or something like that? Or oh yeah, oh, yeah. That, was, <laughs> that was super phallic. Yeah, it was like that's califragilistic expialidocious. This is definitely not for kids. <laughs> it's that weird push and pull between keeping the adults and the audience connected and yeah pushing right at kids like there's a oh oh it's it's et of course it's the the penis breath line which is was cut from the like 2002 reissue because they thought it was too adult it's like no that's what a 10 year old (laughs) yell at his older brother he doesn't understand it that's the whole point and yeah hook has that too in a little kind of sideways way where you're dealing with an adult who's reverted to childhood who's is he allowed to really be still hot for wendy like how do they handle that yeah because wendy's maggie smith now and that's going to be weird yeah i I felt felt more appropriate with 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 wendy because at least they had a history like the tinkerbell thing came out of nowhere for me i was like (laughs) he just has to kiss everybody i I know it's a (laughs) fantasy land but oh my god yeah whose fantasy is this (laughs) even when he when he uh kissed wendy's his wife right uh, Wendy's his grandma, oh, his, his wife's mom. Yeah, wife's great uh, grandmother. Yeah. Which is mom. also kissed, weird, right? Because he's ended up marrying her daughter. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. when he kissed her daughter, like I mean, it's when it was made. You know, we have different ideas of consent of just saying, <laughs> 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 just out if someone is sleeping, who <laughs> he does not know. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's, we're it's, all shouting like no 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 go back to the thimble just give her a thimble instead yeah. <laughs> that would have been much it's still creepy but like at least <laughs> it's something they've never really resolved right like the the sexuality and and sort of uh is adultification a word for, of of all the stuff that disney did because i mean i don't know if you guys have heard about this i think it's absolutely delightful the fox in robin hood is tied to a lot of teenage girls coming of age and understanding what attraction is. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I mean, I missed it. I didn't oh, get it <laughs> as a child, but yeah, that's a thing. Like the, the use of uh, animated like, avatars. Yeah. Anthropomorphic. I mean, it's big online. I feel like it really flourished as soon as the internet hit <laughs> and people got to it. find their community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been on, uh, R th- slash R34. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very weird. But what happens in Hook is that you're paying off what, when was Peter Pan made? 1950-something. So 40 years of the sexualization of Tinkerbell for True. the adult audience, right? Because she was modeled very right. famously on, on Marilyn Monroe. Oh. And then Julia Roberts, oh. who is not Marilyn Monroe, has to do that. And it's really weird. Right. She's like doing it all by herself in a green screen studio. She was never interacting with anybody else because yeah. of the whole concept of it. And that also is this weird battle between her playing what she remembers of it as a kid. Cause she was obviously she wasn't an adult when the first movie came out and she grew up with this thing. And it's weird, right? Because the whole concept of Robert's performance, I, I find it really interesting. You cast the most charismatic person in the world and you don't let her interact with anybody. Like you isolate her and you make her build that performance on her own. Mm. And every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh my God, I want the Tinkerbell movie. As, as much as I hate the, you know, grim dark origin story of anything, I actually want to see Julia Roberts figure Tinkerbell out with other fairies or characters or something. Cause there's something there. Like she really was giving a real performance, but it's in this bottle. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. It's like impressive. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah she Especially was like uh, early, late 90s technology where like you know i guess you're playing off nobody even you know not even yeah, no, she, stick maybe she had nothing it's like there was a the wow. other thing which is probably also now a rule 34 issue is i discovered while researching this episode that there was a person on on duty for that uh in the, in the studio where they shot it wherever it was in somewhere in california some effects house whose only job was to keep her feet clean because <laughs> she was being like, they would lower her down onto the stage floor every time they finished a shot and then they lift her up again. And so she'd have dust on her feet and yeah, someone, somewhere. it was a, it was a young intern who you now know as a Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> Where it all began. That is so disappointingly possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Julia, I didn't realize she was on a green screen performing on her own. Like she pops off uh, the screen for me. Like the way she she says, eat, just right in the middle of the food fight scene, delivers that line uh, in that moment. The way she just kind of like hunches her shoulders and just kind of, um, you know, it really uh, relays, absorbs and relays the the energy, the playful food fight energy that she, she's there. And it's just like, it's so, I don't know. She's she's amazing in that movie. Yeah. So great. Oh, absolutely. America's sweetheart. Really? <laughs> I, 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 I like how they got a replication of the food to dump on her life size. Was, yeah. All right, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need 200 pounds of purple mesh. <laughs> I know. That's the only thing, like the colors, I guess maybe if I had watched it in the 90s, I'd have been like, oh, this is a great color. But now watching, I'm like, why is it all awesome? <laughs> like not a, like those together mashed up? Like, I don't know what that tastes yeah. like. Yeah. It made me think of that, like when they had purple ketchup, like that kind of. Uh, yeah yeah just yeah. bright colors Kid, for no reason yeah kids love things that are wrong <laughs> this will sell <laughs> yeah I, I keep thinking too like the color the when i think about the movie the color i remember most vividly is brown like everything is really wooden and oaky and like you're going from the house in london to the ship which is you know they built that whole thing on a soundstage it's just it's insanely complicated and authentic and you're you're I'm always aware of the, the like the war between the artifice of everything where they have to make it look a little bit like a storybook and it's not really real. And you can tell that the water is maybe like three inches deep. There's nothing else under there, but it doesn't matter because it's consistent. Like all of Neverland looks that weird and silly. And so you can buy in mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really impressive. Yeah. Like I, I never thought about what goes into the production side of making something look real uh until it's only very recent where i'm like now i'm watching stuff I'm like what's cgi and what's practical what do they actually build so i'm like watching stuff when they're sliding down or rufio the the whatever that his sailboard thing that he's he's i'm like is that all practical like where do they build that where is that located you know i'm like it's very interesting yeah the, the, like the whole lost boys treehouse set was like incredible and and definitely like i think i think that's uh, a shortcut, I think, to tapping in with kids is also slime and tree houses. Like that's <laughs> the perfect hideaway. Like, and they had all had their own like tents with the the light scene. Like, it, it just looked like the the best place to live. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. ten times better than the Ewok village. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, always we hate the Ewok village here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a stance <laughs> we got. <laughs> Well, you know they're crapping everywhere, right? Like that was always <laughs> my, like it smells horrible. They don't know. they're teddy bears, but they're filthy. They're, you can tell the Wookiees yeah. have it right. They live in trees, and everything's probably they they have indoor plumbing. I don't think yeah. the Ewoks have yeah. that evolved. 
Don't maybe in in the Lost Boys, that big pool that he lands in into the in the flying sequence. That's like it's so colorful because it's like a, a porta potty fluid, you know, <laughs> a bunch of chemicals that dissolves everything. Would explain a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's how he really taps into his imagination. <laughs> it's just <laughs> he's just high off of this chemical damage, fertilizer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, well, I wanted to ask in the, I think it's in the first episode of season two, there's a, there's a Patel Pan reference. Um, yes. The storybooks that have been revised for, for diversity. Is that, I mean, did that come directly from Hook, like from a shared, what's the thinking there? I mean, what, what, how do you choose what the ideal children's books are for these characters when you're building them? think specifically for the Patel Pan references, something that was in public domain that people yeah. recognize. <laughs> um, right. uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, for uh, I just had a baby recently. And one of the things I found was that, uh, I, and I also saw uh, something on the internet where it was something like 80% of children's, I don't know the exact number, but something along the lines of like 80% of children's books, all the characters are white. And then it was like 12% animals and the rest are like uh, BIPOC children. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that, and then from there it was just like, well, what if we created a scenario where, uh, yeah, what would the world look like? It, uh, or it is true that this is the case and uh, how do we, uh, you know, heightened it. And then, so it's this boy that it's, well, what if we created a world where it wasn't true for this one particular character? Uh, and then we, we just go from there. And then a lot of it is just name, just slightly changing a name <laughs> that if it were to come out the first time, it wouldn't be so ridiculous, but because it's so familiar and it's just slightly different than it is comedic in its effect. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was like a real life imitates art moment with that sketch in particular, where I think it was about like two years ago, uh, I, during black history month, a like Barnes and Noble in, in, in the States got in trouble because they were just, uh, putting old works of art with covers of like people who, uh, of color, just like, uh, you know, like treasure Island or whatever, instead of actually like, you know, showcasing works by people made by people of color just one kind of like loophole loophole around it just the opposite of whitewashing i guess uh, but, but yeah yeah i remember that it was i think the ones that popped out to me the most were the horror novels frankenstein and dracula and it's like you change the race of those characters and you're really doing something very very different. <laughs> yeah <laughs> although you know like, i don't know if you guys have seen um armando Iannucci's um david copperfield movie but he deliberately went colorblind casting Dev Patel plays the lead and uh, Tilda Swinton is his aunt. And it's just sort of everything just rolls from there. And it's, it's really smart. And the, the, the stuff that's happening now that uh, I don't know how you racialization of period pieces where it's allowing for the possibility that there were people of color wandering around in these stories. And we just never saw them because the previous adaptations have all been made by white people I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I think that's a really good idea. I don't know if it works with Peter Pan and Captain Hook specifically because <laughs> that is so white. Like it is such a, it's such a Victorian, like the story before, even before the adaptation of the Disney film, it really is about class and a bunch of other stuff and privateers. And, and if there are ever any people of color in them, that they're, 
you know, oh, well, Tiger Lily, the, the, like the, they're in, the incredibly awkward characterizations of, of um, native characters or background pirates. Um, this, the closest this comes is that Glenn Close shows up as one of the pirates in full costume. She's in like mm. basically every crowd scene, but she's oh, really? unbilled and she was just, yeah, she and Phil Collins just hung out a lot and apparently <laughs> Spielberg put them both in the film. Oh, that's great. <laughs> they're in it? Oh. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, right. When Collins the, the has scorpion. a scene. Yeah. Oh, that I, I thought I was like, I was thinking that I was like, that looks like a lot like Glenn. Clo- <laughs> that looks like a lot like what was it Albert Hobbs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's um, she's supposed to be a man, but I think I don't know that that actually counts as as a trans character uh, or trans casting or anything. It's just this really strange decision where back, you know, it was 1991 and you're making a movie and your friends can hang out with you. It basically, I think, is where it comes down to. If you're Steven Spielberg. Uh, yeah. cool. <laughs> but it's still such an odd like all of his other movies around that time are, are not this. <laughs> there's there's a sense of play in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade two years earlier, but this is very different. This feels like him trying and like to wrestle something into into position and come to terms with his filmmaking as a as an overgrown kid almost. And then two years later, mm-hmm. he abandons it entirely with like Jurassic Park and Schindler's List back to back. It's like he's saying yeah. goodbye to his childhood, which is a weird mirroring of what's going on in the film and still every time i watch it, it's like this is not like it's not bad it's it's messy but it's not bad and it works on on its own really specific terms definitely yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I enjoyed it yeah like i i still yes as someone who's watching it for the first time because i think i've seen bits and pieces of it but i've never watched it front to back i don't know what that movie was so watching i was like it was it was like yeah I, i've I did get lost in it and I was like, this is like, it's very fun. And like, just there's a lot of joy and the colors are everything. I think has a soft lighting to it. So everything looks like uh, I could fall asleep at any moment, go into like a sweet dream. You know? That's what it feels like. <laughs> I mean, the, the score is just so phenomenal. The Absolutely. John Williams score just pulls you into every moment. You really feel the dance of trying to catch your shadow and uh, paired with some of the, I think early on, you, uh, when we're when we enter the uh, when they just come back from the uh, uh, the 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 thing where they celebrated Wendy, <laughs> where everyone did a <laughs> cel- important meal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the big dinner thing ransacked. they came. Yeah, and then they find the house. Just some of the subtle moves where you can peer the. Um, you're looking at the sidewalk through the broken glass and then the glass opens and then, they, and then the camera moves back slightly. And it's like, you're definitely, you know, putting that in the foreground where you're like, wow, this house is there is it's disrupted and it's kind of, our vision is slightly distorted. Um, but match with that like crazy soundtrack. I mean, uh, it, it's so effective. Yeah. And very of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, the, yeah, the design of it really reminds me of uh, was it Julie? Is it Julie Taymor? The Lion King stuff? Oh yeah, that was a couple it's years very, later. Yeah, maybe she was inspired. I wonder. I mean, she pulled from all sorts of weird sources, like above and beyond, like the 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 specific points of real world reference. And her stuff is always vaguely hallucinatory. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised. She did a she made a movie version of The Tempest with um, Helen Mirren. That's just like full on out there and right around this time she would have been making did she already make had she already made titus with anthony hopkins or was that later i think that was the mid 90s mm-hmm. which is this 
Which the cover looks like the the middle point of the scene when Peter jumps, gets slingshotted. It looks like the cover of Titus. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually the other thing about Titus is that it opens, like the framing device is that it's a child playing with toy soldiers, which we then zoom oh. into. And so it, it does have a kind of a Peter Pan imaginary aspect to it for Shakespeare, which is something. <laughs> but yeah, I, now I want to investigate that even further. <laughs> Does the uh, the part at the end when we see Smee as a janitor? I was really I like. For me, I was like, oh, I, I was excited to play that game where we guess which part, uh, how his reality was in, uh, inspired the hallucinatory dream that he had. Where it's like, okay, well then, who's okay if Smee is the janitor? Like, who is who is? Tinkerbell, you know, it's the same okay. as um, <laughs> yeah, it's the Oz, Wizard yeah. of Oz, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. who's who? Uh, and uh, I was excited to see that, but then the <laughs> then, uncle flies, then, the then, yeah, <laughs> Toodles actually flies. Uh, and it's definitive. Uh, he cheated it's on of, no, he, he, yeah, he cheated multiple times, <laughs> <laughs> he kissed nine people. <laughs> It's not right. Now, Sora, honey, we got sea herpes now. Uh, (laughs) Honey, you don't understand. I was dreaming. It doesn't count. (laughs) You told me I had to go back. You said I had to remember. (laughs) I know. The whole thing was a booty call. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how I remember the Wizard of Oz ending, but... My thanks to Guled, Vance, Tim, and Franco, whose very fun sketch show Tall Boys returns for its second season tonight, February 16th at 9.30 p.m. on CBC and CBC Gem. Thanks also to Adrienne Kakoulis. She knows what she did. You can find three quarters of the troupe on Twitter at Vance Banzo, Tim Blair, and Franco Nguyen, one word each, or follow them collectively at Tall Boys Two Men, with Roman numerals for the two, obviously. They're planning to live-tweet the premiere tonight, so that should be fun. And you can find Hook on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host a bunch of podcasts these days, and now I'm writing a Substack newsletter. It's called Now Streaming. Go find it. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or this show, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay inside. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>